So we've been in a series over the last, uh, we started a new series last week entitled Bloopers, right? And it's really about mistakes. Do I have any people that have made mistakes ever in their life? I mean, I'm, I'm not telling you to clap about your mistakes, but, but the truth is this, look, we've made mistakes, right? Let's not be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good, right? We all make mistakes. But the thing about it is that mistakes actually provide us the ability to learn from them. And unfortunately, there are too many of us that live from them. They define the context by which we perceive life. They define the context by which we approach faith. They define the context for the decisions that we make. And I'm telling you that we don't have to do that. You know, last week we learned that mistakes don't have to be such a bad thing. That we can learn from them and that when you make a mistake... The worst mistake you can start with is not taking responsibility. It's not recognizing that we've made a mistake. See, if you, if you can never acknowledge the mistake that you've made, you can never turn from it. And you can't even go in the direction that God wants to take you. So I would just encourage you, don't run from it. Instead, learn from it and move on from it. Well, this week we're going to kick things up another notch. And we're going to be learning about the role of endurance. We're going to learn how it helps us avoid mistakes and even overcome the ones that we may come across eventually. Now, the word endurance, simply put, is the ability to withstand hardship or adversity. It's especially the ability to sustain a prolonged effort or activity over a length of time. You know, mistakes usually happen under some form of pressure. Can we agree on that? Right? Usually when we make mistakes, it's because there's some pressure going on. Something's pressing upon us, right? And the thing about it is that this pressure can come in many different forms of fashions. Well, for one, sometimes it comes from pressure applied by outside forces. There's people. There's problems outside of our control, right, that we allow to just press upon us. There's choices. Sometimes it's pressure applied from within. It's self-inflicted. It kind of, it's, it's the kind of stuff where our, it's our response to people, it's our response to things, it's our perception of what we think is true, despite the fact whether it is true or not. It's our desires which go untamed, and I would encourage you to be here next week, because we're going to dig into that little point that I just made there uh, next week, and it's going to bless you. Bring somebody with you too. But in either case, it's much like a balloon. Endurance is like a balloon that experiences pressure. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Somebody say, uh-oh. Uh-oh, yeah. Pastor Jose is about to do something a little out the box. Yes, we're going to have some fun. This is a pig, I think. No, it's really a, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to allow me to blow a balloon up, right? But I want you to think about it this way. Endurance is much like a balloon that experiences pressure, right? And if we don't ex endure the external pressures eventually applied, right, that are applied eventually, we get some negative results, right? So let me use this as an example, right? Let's, right? All right, we got a balloon, right? So external pressures press upon us. But let me remind you of something, that it is God's will that you understand that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Sometimes we feel helpless and we believe we're hopeless because we believe we're empty. And what I am saying to you, child of God, 
and for you who may not even know Christ, is that God's will is not that you walk empty. He wants to fill your life with good things. And when you are filled with good things, the pressures on the outside can't overcome the greater one on the inside. But you see, sometimes even though we live with the greater one on the inside, we focus on the outside pressures. And the result is the same every single time. Oh, come on, people. You are adults. Stop. See, my God, what just happened? <laughs> I'm kidding, guys. I'm kidding. What I want you to see is that the results are always explosive. But you know, the converse is also true. Sometimes we allow the pressures within. The voices, the negative thinking, the way we've been conditioned to believe in things, to build up within. And my friends, I would submit to you this, it doesn't work. See, in either case, the truth is that the results aren't good. And every single time, it's going to lead us eventually to a place of mistakes. That makes sense? See, I have good news for you today. I've got real good news for you today. God created you to endure. God created you to overcome mistakes. And while we all make them, we don't have to live from them. Today, I want to speak to you directly from the heart of God as we look to God's word. I'm not here to give you an opinion, ladies and gentlemen. I'm no one in, in the grand scheme of things. But I submit to you that today the word of God speaks loudly for God. And I would encourage you to lean into God today as we discuss the topic of going the distance. Go ahead and tell three people, I'm going the distance. Tell somebody else, I'm going the distance. I'm going the distance. Man, I truly pray that that becomes your heart's desire today after we consider the word of God. See, if we're honest with ourselves, one of the main reasons for many of life's mistakes is our unwillingness to endure. What am I talking about? We give up before we ever break through. We defer to impatience as an escape from pressure. It kind of looks like this. It's decisions without wisdom. It's impulsive reactions in the face of challenges. It's planning based on assumptions and the stories that we create about what we imagine will occur before it ever even rolls out. It's desire over divine guidance. It's running at the first sign of hardship. It's doing my own thing at the expense of missing the thing that God has in store for you. A lack of endurance. See, endurance is not about bearing the weight of external and internal pressures, ladies and gentlemen. No. Endurance is something so much greater. Endurance is growing stronger from within so that we can press through life's pressures and we can come out better. We can exercise strength. We can achieve greater results over the course of life and the purposes that God has for each and every one of us. Consider what the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 35. We're also going to read verse 36. It says, therefore, and I, hey, I want you to do something with me. I want you to preach with me today, right? So whenever you see me do this, it doesn't mean I'm trying to kind of just play with my ear here. 
It's, it's a sign. It's a, it's a sign. It's a secret. Repeat the word that's coming up. Can we do that? Is that all right? So let's practice that. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. Don't throw away your confidence, which has what? A great reward. Now watch this, for you have need of endurance. Don't forget that statement. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Think about this. According to the scripture, endurance really is the path that guarantees us what God has promised. You know, if you're struggling in, in, in seeing the, the materialization of something that is in God's word, God is not the issue. It's always on the receiving end, ladies and gentlemen. We're missing something. We're not catching something. And I think that one of the things that we miss often is this this tenacity, this grit to press through, to not give up, to keep going forward. Because you see, when you endure, there's a reward on the other side. And if we are to endure, we must change our perspective on it. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Endurance is not optional. Listen closely. It's necessary. Let me say that again. Endurance is not optional. It's necessary. Now, I know for some of us, we go, well, it's my choice if I choose to endure. You are absolutely correct. It is your choice, but it's always a bad choice. It's a bad choice. Why? Let me take you back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. Watch what it says. For we have what? Need of endurance. Need of endurance. Do something with me. Take a deep breath. Take another one. Now, in this moment, you took a deep breath, but have you ever considered that you don't even have to think to breathe? You know why? Because your human makeup, your understanding, innately deep within in your consciousness and beyond your consciousness, you and I understand this, I need to breathe. And the moment it stops, Something awakens in us that says, no, 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 we're heading in the wrong direction. I have to breathe. What if we understood that we need to endure? That this can't be an option for me. I have to press through. I have to move forward. I cannot give up. I cannot back down. The God in me is greater than whatever's pressing against me. I have to continue to press forward. We have need of endurance. Reminds me of a story I once heard of a little boy who was playing outdoors in his backyard and one day he finds this fascinating caterpillar. And so he carefully picks it up and he takes it home and he shows it to his mother and he says, Mom, Mom, can I keep it? Can I keep it? And his mom says, yes, you can keep it as long as you take good care of it. So the little boy gets a large jar from his mother and he puts a plant in it for, it to, for this caterpillar to eat, and he puts a stick for it to climb on, and, 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 and every day he watches this caterpillar, and he brings in a new plant every single day. And one day the caterpillar climbed up the stick and started acting strangely. It was weird. The boy became worried, and he cried out to his mom, and his mom 
came and, and, and she understood that the caterpillar was creating a cocoon. And so the mother explains to the boy how the caterpillar was going through a process of metamorphosis. It was transforming, it was translating, it was stepping into a new stage of its existence where once it was grounded, now it would be able to fly. Where once it looked one way, now it would be transformed into something totally brand new with new possibilities, with new opportunities, with new abilities. It would be able to spread wings and fly and soar. Are you, are, are you hearing let me remind you what the scripture says. The old is gone. The new is now here. And so this little boy was thrilled. He was thrilled about the changes that this caterpillar would grow through. And he watched every day with great expectation, waiting for this butterfly to emerge. And so one day it happened. A small hole appeared in the cocoon and the butterfly started to struggle to come out and at first this boy was excited but soon he became concerned you see the butterfly was struggling so hard to get out it looked like it was trapped like it would never break free it looked desperate it looked like there was no progress being made and this boy was so concerned that he decided that he was going to help the butterfly so he quickly grabs a pair of scissors and he snips the little hole just a little bit wider. And, as, and the butterfly quickly emerged. And as the butterfly came out, the boy was surprised. You see, it had a swollen body, but it had small shriveled wings. And he continued to watch the butterfly, expecting that its wings would dry up and they would all of a sudden just pop out and expand. And they, he would be enlarged and this butterfly would begin to fly. He knew that in time, the body would shrink and the butterfly's wings would expand, but my friends, it never happened. The butterfly spent the rest of its life crawling around with a swollen body and shriveled wings. What's my point with that? The moment you take the easy way out by giving up and giving into your fears, your doubts, your self-defeating thoughts, the moment you let go of the promises of God, the moment you decide I'm going to do this by my strength and by my might and not by his spirit. The moment you decide I know better, I can do better, I've done this, I will do it again. That's the moment that you put a stop to the blessing and the promises that have been declared over you by God and his word. Why? Because you shift from the place of growing in your faith to dying, to living grounded. It's a mistake, my friends. It's a huge mistake. The Bible records a time where there were three Hebrew boys and they were in Babylon. And they were captives in Babylon. They were part of the captivity and so these men were there against their will. But they were in the king's inner circle. See, the king of Babylon took from the people of Israel those that were wise as those that showed a propensity to learn and pick up on things, on the culture, on the language. And so the king brought these guys into his inner court. They were part of his council. Well, unfortunately, the other council members that made up his, his inner circle were Babylonians, and they didn't like it. 
So they came up with a plot. They said, we know that these Hebrew boys will not bow down to another god. It's against their law. It's against their, their beliefs, their core values. So the king has this huge statue about 90 feet tall. Why don't we convince the king with our own plot so that it can work against them? So they go to the king and they say, oh, great king. We, I'm paraphrasing here, this beautiful monument, this beautiful God, this idol that you've placed, everybody should be worshiping it in the kingdom. So why don't you just put out a law, an edict, that says from this day forward, for the next 30 days, whenever you hear the trumpet sound, everybody in the empire of Babylon must bow down to this, this statue, towards this statue. The king goes, oh, that's a great idea. And so he puts it into law, but they throw a clause in there. Whoever doesn't do it will be executed by being thrown into a fiery furnace. King goes, oh, that's a great law. Let's put it all in there. The edict goes out. Sure enough, the trumpet sounds, and these three Hebrew men did not bow down. Well, these guys decide they're going to go tattletale. Right? Oh, great king. Oh, great king. Those three boys in our inner court. Those three counselors that you placed among us, they did not bow down when the trumpet sound uh, went forth. So the king calls for them and he asks them, is this true? And they say, we, it's true, we, have, we will not bow down to, your, to your, uh, this, this uh, statue, this idol. And so the king decides, I'm going to give you one more chance. I'm going to give you the opportunity right now to bow down. And if you don't, then I'm going to toss you in the fiery furnace. As a matter of fact, guys... Turn the furnace up seven more times. A lot more hotter. We're going to throw them in there if they don't do this. And listen to their response in the midst of this pressure. Daniel 3, 16 through 18 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods and worship or worship the gold statue that you have set up. I want you to consider this, that these young men could have easily avoided being thrown into the furnace and the possibility of losing their lives. They could have avoided it. To everyone in their midst, everyone in Babylon, this appeared to be a moment of pure insanity on their part. In this moment, their choice seemed to be a mistake. But these men knew better. Why? Because they knew that a choice to save their own lives at the expense of compromising what was right in the sight of God was the mistake. Amen. And so therefore, what did they do? They chose to endure. They chose to endure. They made a choice in that moment. No matter what comes our way, we're going to press through. Let me ask you a question for personal reflection at this time in your life. How are you doing in this area of endurance? How are you holding up? You know, we should note something here. If you read the rest of this biblical historical account, we find that they chose to endure. And what ended up happening is that they, they were thrown into the furnace. And then all of a sudden, a fourth man appears. 
The same God that has said to you and I, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, I am always with you till the end of the age shows up. Let me, let me, let me give you some good news that you might want to reflect upon. You are never alone. And in those moments of pressure, we would be wise to consider that God has not given up on you. Come on and give God some praise for that, man. And so these guys end up in the fire, and the, the way the scripture records it, they come out of the fire, unscorched. They didn't even smell a fire. They were, they, there was nothing singed upon them. They decided that no matter what, they were willing to endure the fire, no matter the cost. Now, here's the thing. These guys had confidence in God's ability to deliver. But the scripture reveals something. That they realized that even if God were not to bring us out, get this, they were wrestling with the possibility of an uncertainty. And in the midst of that uncertainty, it didn't matter for them. Why? Because endurance has nothing to do with the guarantee of a sure end. My friend, endurance is about doing what's right and good throughout the process of life. It's an issue of character. It's integrity. It's staying committed, pressing through. You know, you can always press through the pressures of life if God is truly greater in your eyes than what the world throws at you. The pressure within you will always come overcome the pressure on the outside and even the pressure within. So when we live this way, the truth is that we'll make far less mistakes in life. So I want to give you some things to consider for the next couple of moments. I want to make some statements that really allude to application. But I want us to consider the scriptures in light of these statements so that we can learn how to endure to the end, how to press through, how to avoid these mistakes in life that we make so often because we feel pressed from outside or within. And the first statement I want to make to you is that failure is not falling but refusing to get back up. I'm going to say that again. I'm just picking up on, on something I was touching on last week in this series. Failure is not falling, but refusing to get back up. We fail when we choose to stay down. See, if you're going to go the distance, you can't give up. It requires grit. It requires a decision that says, I will not give up. I will remain steadfast and faithful in my trust, in my belief. Doesn't matter what the, the offer is. Doesn't matter what the compromise might look like. Doesn't matter what people say. I find, with all due respect, that there are more people in the church that sound more like CNN than they do the word of God. Since when did the opinion of man trump the word of God? Come on now. We could talk about every pandemic, every situation, the economy, inflation, this and that. Man, you belong on the screen. But we're deceived. We should be living according to the truth instead of falling for the lies and regurgitating them. Listen to what Romans 8, 1 and 2 tells us about failure and about falling. So now there is no what? Condemnation. You know what condemnation is? Condemnation is accusation. 
Condemnation is saying, you bad little woman, you bad little guy, you bad little Christian. And sometimes we don't, need, we, we don't even need people to tell us that. We tell ourselves that. We condemn ourselves. But according to the scripture, it says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who belong to who? To Christ Jesus. Somebody say, that's me. Listen, man, if, if that's true, and it is according to scripture, then there is no one accusing you. So why would you accuse yourself? And verse 2 tells us, because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. See, as a child of God, you and I have to realize God's not mad at you when you fall. Now, I know for some of us, our conditioning and what we've learned or what we've been exposed to in Christianity, that violates what you've been taught. But I'm t I submit to you that I'm not teaching you according to the traditions of men. I'm pointing you to the truth in God's word. We can either accept what the word says or we can reject it, but we cannot deny the truth in it. And the scripture says this, there's no condemnation for anyone in Christ. There's no accusation. There's no shaming or guilting. There's none of that. God's not even pointing the finger at us. Why? Because Jesus paid the ultimate price. So that we would no longer have to stand trial and try and prove ourselves right before God. That's why the scripture says that he became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. We are right with God. I'm telling you, you're all right. Tell three people, I'm all right. Come on, say that proud. You're all right. But unfortunately, too many carry the weight of past mistakes. It brings us to our knees. We crawl through life. We question if we can or if we even should attempt to get back up. There's a portion in scripture that records a time where a woman who was caught in adultery was brought before Jesus. I won't read to you the scripture just for the sake of time, but they bring this woman before Jesus and it's the religious leaders, the elite, right? They show up with this woman Jesus was teaching in a crowd. They interrupt his teaching and they say, Teacher, Rabbi, this woman, she was caught in adultery. And according to the Mosaic law, she's supposed to be stoned. What I find interesting is that in that moment, Jesus did not respond with one word to them. Now, if it had been me, and thank God that none of us is God, but if it had been me, I, I, I would have said, What were you doing there? How did you happen upon this occasion? Anyway, thank God I'm not God. What I find interesting is that this woman is on her knees, shamed, downtrodden, made a spectacle of. And the scripture clearly tells us that Jesus kneels down. He begins to write something in the, in the sand in silence. And these men keep pressing. What, is, what do you say we should do? What do you say we should They're trying to see if he'll go against the Mosaic law. 
if he'll, divide, if he'll defy the very words known to have come from God himself. And Jesus wisely says, well, you know, whichever one of you is without sin, you cast the first stone. And at that moment, every last one of them begins to drop their rocks. Until from oldest to youngest, they're all gone, and it's just Jesus and this woman. Here's what I want to point your attention to. The only time that Jesus saw need to speak to this woman was to help her get back up. Listen to this. Jesus remained silent at their accusations. But then all of a sudden, when it's just him and her, he says to her, Woman, where are your accusers? Where are those that condemn you? Watch this. God himself in the form of a man. Who's accusing you here? She says, Lord, there's no one. And he says, then neither do I condemn you. Go. You don't have to live this life any longer. I share that with you because we don't fail because we fall. We fail because we quit. Listen to this. We don't know the backstory that led to this point, but I submit to you that this woman didn't get there overnight. We don't know how many failures, how many falls left to this point. We don't know her backstory, but what we do know is this, that in her deepest, darkest moment, at her lowest point of life, Jesus only speaks to lift her. And I share that with you, because one of the greatest mistakes that we make is that we give in to the voice of condemnation. And we give up. See, we're called to go the distance. And if you're going to go the distance, if you're going to endure and not make mistakes to the extent that we do, then we would be wise to recognize this. That just because we fall doesn't mean that we've failed. But it does mean that we should get back up. The next point I want to leave you with is this. When tempted to give up, it's not because it's hard, but because you don't know you're winning. Let me say that again. I think we should really dig into that statement. When you're tempted to give up, it's not because it's hard, but because you don't know you're winning. Let me give you scriptural context for this. I want to look at a paraphrased version, the Romans 5.17. I'm reading from the Passion Translation because it just bears out the original language so well. It says, death once held us in its grip. By the blunder of one man, death reigned as king over humanity. This is referring to the original sin of Adam and Eve and how that uh, set the tone for the rest of humanity. It's where it all originated from, but watch this. But now, how much more are we held in the grip of grace? And continue, watch this, reigning as kings in life. Enjoying our regal freedom through the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only Jesus, the Messiah. Listen closely to what the scripture is revealing. We are not righteous because of what we do. We are righteous because we are forgiven in Christ. I love that. But I want you to consider this, that one of the most debilitating beliefs in the heart of people today is this idea that life 
is hard. Now, I know I'm messing with some of your thinking right now because for some of us, we tell us that. It's just so hard raising this child by myself. It's just so hard to, to, to make it another day. It's so hard to pay these bills. It's so hard to maintain a career and go to school. It's so hard to be in this marriage. It's so hard to have these friendships. It's so hard. 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 And we tell ourselves how hard it is. And I'm not saying that we don't go through hard circumstances. The truth is we do. We do. But there's a difference between encountering hard situations and a belief that life is hard. Listen closely to where I'm coming from in this. When you believe that life is hard, it hardens your heart. The scripture clearly tells us that we should guard our hearts above all else. Why? Because out of it flow the issues of life. And if we fill ourselves with this mindset, with this belief, with this perception that says, it's so hard, it's so hard, it's so hard, it's so hard, the the heart becomes hardened. It steals your joy. It slowly squeezes the fight out of you until you get to the point that giving up, you believe, is your only option. And I submit to you that Jesus did not die for our sin and rise again to give you a hard life. As a matter of fact, according to John chapter 10, he died and rose again to give us an abundant life. Listen closely. We will encounter seasons of hardship and loss, but that doesn't make you a loser and you don't have to grow hardened to life. According to Romans 5.17, you could just throw that up for us. It says that we reign in life as kings. Do you get who you are in the sight of God? Do you get who you really are in this world? You are a king. You are a queen. You are royalty. You are chosen. You are anointed. You are appointed. You are called. You are equipped. You are sent. You are not the sum total of your mistakes and the hardships that you face, but you will totally mess up your life if you forget your position because you bow to your conditions. We're not going to read it, but there's a portion in Scripture in the, in, in the Old Testament where there's this guy named Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth grew up in, in royalty. His father was the first king of Israel, a guy named Saul. And this guy, Mephibosheth, grew up as one who rightfully had a, a, a access to the throne. He could eventually become king. And so what ends up happening is that his grandfather, Saul, dies in battle. And in those days, in kingdom culture, when one king is, 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 uh, loses his life, he's out of the way, the next incoming king doesn't just assume the throne. What he does is he eliminates any royal lineage from that previous king because he wants no threat to his throne. And so knowing that and understanding that Mephibosheth's caretaker, he was a little kid at this time, picks him up in a haste and she takes off. We don't know the details to what happened, but what we do know is that he suffered such a great fall that he ended up crippled for the rest of his life. And so he goes to a land called Lodabar. We don't have time to get into this, but the word Lodabar means a desert dry land. It's dead. Nothing grows there. Nothing happens there. So this is where he grows up. 
Well, one day, David gets inspired by God and he feels generous. He feels compassion. And he's, he asks amongst his royal court, is there anyone from Saul's royal line, from his family line, that I can extend grace and mercy to, that I can be kind towards? And one of his attendants says to him, O king, there is one, a guy named Mephibosheth. And so David sends for him, and David's mighty men show up, and they get this guy, and they bring him before the king. And now mind you, this is a guy who's royalty coming before another king. And the king says to him, I now restore to you all that belonged to your grandfather Saul. Everything that was his in the kingdom, that's lands, that's uh, servants, that's riches, that's uh, houses, that's animals, anything and everything that belongs to Saul. And you would think that Mephibosheth's response would be, I'm in the money, I'm in the money. Ta -da -da. Some of you are too young for that. I get it. Some of you are really old if you know that. But get this. You would think that Mephibosheth would celebrate this, this, this situation. Well, what, what ends up happening is that Mephibosheth says, Oh, King David, what am I but a dead dog before you? Listen to what, what, what he's actually saying here. This guy, his issue wasn't that he stopped being royalty. He started believing that he was a loser in life. You know, you might lose... Sometimes in life, you might suffer some loss. You might go through some difficult conditions in life. You might be enduring some things now, but your condition can never change your position. You are a child of the Most High God. The last point that I want to leave you with here is that the best view comes from the hardest climb. The best view comes from the hardest climb. I'm sorry, it comes after the hardest climb. I apologize for that. Let me tell you what I'm getting at here. Uh, some of you know my son Josh. You know, he's a grown man. My baby boy, he's bigger than me. Beard thicker than mine, right? But if you ever get to hanging around my son and he says, hey, let's go hiking. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't go. I'm telling you, don't go. Quite a few years ago, my son, you know, he was in high school. I think he was a senior year or something. And he was... He has some sort of certification, like Sherpa or something, right? This, this kid grew up in the city, and all of a sudden, he wants to be a mountain man. And I don't get it. He's still, he's still that way now. But he decides, he says, hey, I want to take you guys to Eagle's Cliff. I want to take you up there. I want to take you guys on a hike. So you know what dad does? I pull out my Tim's, my buckwheat Timberlands, because you got to hike in, in, you know, in style, right? So I pull them out, right? I make sure they look good, right? And we go up there, big mistake. We start walking up. Now, mind you, the hike was supposed to be three miles. I said, three miles? It's not a big deal. It was seven miles. Seven. Yes, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven miles. You know what that means? As we're walking up there and my feet are hurting and blisters are developing on the soles of my feet. This is what the conversation was the whole way. Are we there yet? How much further do we have to go? At one point, me and my daughter were like, who cares about getting up there? And my son, every time we would protest, we would complain, we would say something, he would say, just wait. Wait till you see the view. 
Wait till we get to the top. Well, eventually we arrive, and when we get there, there's this huge, massive boulder that you have to climb over in order to get the view. My daughter at that point was like, I'm not climbing, not one more thing. In my mind, I was like, I'm dead dog tired, but I didn't come this far to not see this view. I'm going to get something out of this. So we climb up, right? We get there. And when we look over the crest of this rock, the view was breathtaking. Let me tell you why I share that with you. It was in that moment that the sores on my feet, that the pain that it took to get there, that the sweat and the mosquito bites and everything else that came along with it, none of that mattered. At that point, it was worth it. I share this with you for a simple reason. Because when we maintain a long-term perspective on life, when we choose to see and dwell and meditate upon the promises of God, the scripture puts it this way. It says, whatever's good, whatever's lovely, whatever's of good report, whatever's noble, whatever's beautiful, it says, think on these things and the peace of God well, it, 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 it'll, it'll transcend into your heart and it will, it will revive you, it will restore you, it will give you strength. My friend, I'm telling you, don't lose perspective in life. Don't lose the promise. The best view always comes after the hardest climb. You've got to go the distance. As we stand here and we close today, I'm reminded of the prophet Micah. Who once in Micah chapter 7, and I'm not going to read all of it, but in the first couple of verses, Micah recalls and reflects upon the state of the people of Israel at that time. And if you read it, Micah says a couple of things. He says that Israel's like a vineyard with no grapes. He laments that there was no one faithful. He tells how wickedness prevailed. In essence, he's talking about how the people were turning on each other and they had forsaken God. There's no denying that it was a hard time for everyone in Israel in those days. But Micah took a long-term view in the short-term present. Micah chapter 7, verses 7 and 8 says this. Micah says, but as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. You know, sometimes you can be in the middle of messes. May I squeeze in here with you, ma'am? You could be in the middle of a world that's pressing all upon you. Come on and squeeze up on me. Come on. Come on, push a little. Don't worry about the chairs. Nobody's going to hurt you, right? You could be so pressed in by everything. That you just become part of the mess. You become, you meld into it all. But Micah says this, but as for me, excuse me. As for me, no, 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 no. Uh-uh. You do that. I, I will wait on the Lord. I will continue to look to the Lord. He says, I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. Listen to what he goes on to say in verse 8. To what he says to his enemies. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Don't rejoice because my fall is what you think is my failure. He says, though I have fallen, 
I will rise. Somebody needs to hear that today. You will rise. You're not done. It's not over. God has not given up on you. God is not even mad at you. He's the wind beneath your wings. He's the strength that undergirds you. He's the house that shelters you. He's the peace that keeps you. He's the provision that provides for you. He's the faithful God, even when we are unfaithful. Micah says, though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. You may be enduring difficulties presently, but God hears you. Your enemies may be reveling at what they think is your fall, but you will rise again. I know it's been said, you can't keep a good man down. But let me tell you something, you've got it better. You can't keep a godly man or woman down. That's the God we serve. So press through. Make the decision today. Let's declare this. I'm going the distance. I'm not backing up. I'm not backing down. Greater is he in me than he that is in the world. Now go ahead and give some people a high five and tell them you're going to make it. Father, at this time, we take this holy moment to consider your word. What good is the word of God if we do nothing with it? Maybe you're not pressed right now. I guarantee you this. Jesus put it this way. In this world, you will have tribulation. It will come. You will have to endure. And so I want you to consider this. What will you choose from this point forward? Will you press through? Make the decision today. Father, thank you that you are still the same God that says that you will never leave us, that you will never forsake us, that you are always with us to the very end of the ages. Father, I declare in, an, in agreement with your word, Lord, that these, your people, are a strong people. Not strong in their own strength, but strong because we depend upon you. Because we look to you as the author and finisher of our faith. And we trust and know that you didn't just write the beginning of our story, but you've penned the end of it. You're bringing us through. I pray that you would strengthen these, your people, from the inner man. That you would open our understanding and our hearts to believe and know that you have provided all that we need. That we've got what it takes. That we can press forward with grit. That we don't have to give up because it's not an option. Because you have given us the ability to endure. I said this to someone in a conversation yesterday and I just feel the need to say this right now. You are made for hard. You are made for hard. Hard is not your excuse to back down. Hard is your reason to press forward. 
Thank you, Lord, for that. As we close today, maybe there's someone in the house. Maybe you're joining us online. Maybe you started on this journey of following Jesus. Maybe you stepped away. He never stepped away. Maybe you've never known Jesus. But today what resonates with you is I can understand this issue of making mistakes. As a matter of fact, you're not only your, uh, your judge, you're also your accuser and your executioner. You beat yourself up. And if that resonates with you, I want you to recognize this from the word of God. God's not mad at you. You know why he's not mad at you? The truth is that mankind made a mistake from the very beginning. And because man messed up, somebody, a man, had to make up the difference. But you see, none of us can do that. Why? Because we still make mistakes. And so God in all his wisdom and in all his love decided this. I'll come and be like one of them. And I will take their place to pay the penalty for sin. You see, the death of Jesus Christ on a cross was more than just for the forgiveness of sins. He rose to prove that he's God, but to also prove that we can rise again to a new life. And my friend, if you find yourself in need of a new direction, if you find yourself needing God today, then we want you to let us know today when we pray this, that you are crying out to God and you're reaching out to God. Not because anybody wants to make a spectacle of you, but because we want to acknowledge you and because you are very important to God, we want to walk alongside you. So whether you're here in the house or online, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to let us know, I need Jesus. And you're reaching out to him today. Look, there's no shame in that. There's power in that. Because for the first time, you're shifting from your strength to a greater strength. And you've got what it takes to win from this day forward. If you believe that with us, raise your hand and declare that you need Jesus. Let's pray this together as we close. Say, Jesus, I believe. You are the Son of God. I believe you love me so much that you paid the price for my sin by dying and rising again. And so today I rise to a new life, to new opportunities, to new possibilities. I declare you're my Lord. You are my Savior. You are my God. And I thank you for new beginnings. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.